Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Lighthouse Canton Insights Podcast. This series is brought to you by Lighthouse Canton, a global investment institution that provides wealth and asset management services to accredited investors. Here on this podcast, we'll look to shine a light on the market developments and share strategic insights to help you navigate the global investment landscape. In each episode, we'll be bringing you conversations from leading experts in various fields, including Lighthouse Canton's own investment team and specialists. This podcast was recorded on 14th March 2023 and was prepared based on the information available as of the date of recording. Please stay tuned for the important information at the end of this episode. Welcome again to the Lighthouse Canton Insights Podcast. In this episode, we'll focus on private market investments and take a closer look at India's vibrant startup ecosystem. In 2021, reports showed that private markets fundraising rose by 20% to 1.2 trillion US dollars. This rate has held steady with 639 billion US dollars raised globally in the first half of 2022. And yet, despite the current macroeconomic condition, organizations and agencies are forecasting that AUM and private markets will grow by at least 7 to 8 trillion US dollars by 2027. Now, if we look at the geographies where this capital is allocated to, we'll see that just over half of that AUM resides in North American investments, with Europe coming in at 21% and Asia at 22%. Just five years ago, Asia's AUM was only 60% of Europe's, and it has caught up significantly, and we believe that this trend will continue. We're seeing promising growth indicators across Asia, favorable demographic trends, high internet penetration, and a burgeoning internet economy, as well as strong government support across the region. India, in particular, has captured the attention of many institutional and private capital investors. In 2021, we saw it rise to become the third largest startup ecosystem globally behind the US and China. In recent years, India's startup ecosystem has witnessed a boom. Over 20 billion US dollars was invested into the country in 2021, which was about 5% of global venture capital deal flows. And at the end of 2022, there were 1,205 unicorns globally, with nearly 10% of them hailing from India. So today, we have with us ex-Norway's Ventures and VC veteran Sohil Chand of LC Nueva Investment Partners, as well as Sankit Sinha, Global Head of Asset Management at Lighthouse Canton, to share more on India's venture landscape. Welcome, Sohil and Sankit. How are both of you today? And thank you for coming on today's show. Hi, Samantha. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Oh, great to have you both here. So, you know, before we begin, do you want to give us a bit of your background about yourself, what you do? So, Hill, we understand that you're a bit of a veteran in India's VC landscape. You used to be head of Norway's venture partners in India, and you were previously at Goldman Sachs, where you practically built the India PE business. Yes, that's right. So I've been investing in uh, in India's private equity and venture ecosystem for almost 20 years now. As you mentioned first at uh, Goldman Sachs and then at Norwest, where I ran, uh, ran the India business for them. So I've seen sort of and invested in uh, sort of many, many startups across the cycle from sort of really early stage businesses that we started so to even later stage and listed companies. 
with uh, the LC Nueva Fund, which I set up along with Lighthouse Canton. What we're doing there is focusing on really early stage businesses, so pre-series A's and some select series A kind of businesses and giving them the capital they need in order to grow significantly. So our thesis is about just picking sort of really good teams which have sort of demonstrated that they have a viable business plan, achieved some revenues, built a product, and they need money to scale that product and get to a sort of institutional venture capital or private equity round. And we make that bet in them. Our typical check size is about a million dollars. And the fund is uh, about a $45 million fund. Uh, we're targeting to do about 30 investments, a little over 30 investments in the fund. So I'll stop there, Samantha, maybe let Sankate introduce himself and then we can talk more. Thank you. Thank you, Sohil. Hi, everyone. As far as my background is concerned, I started with uh, Edelweiss Capital in India, investing in uh, public markets. Uh, sometime in 2011, I moved over to private markets with Deutsche Bank and has been investing in private credit since then. I've been with Lighthouse Canton since 2018, uh, overlooking the asset management business. And at Lighthouse Canton, one of the strategies that we run on the private uh, investment side is our venture debt strategy. As part of the strategy, we essentially lend to uh, companies which are mid-stage, you know, tech-enabled companies, uh, typically Series B, Series C kind of companies who have viable business models, who are on path to profitability, and uh, who have the ability to emerge as uh, segment leaders within the sectors that they operate in. Our venture debt strategy focuses on uh, the Indian startup ecosystem as well as the Southeast Asian regional startup ecosystem. And uh, this is a recently launched strategy, investment strategy. And we have been running it for a couple of quarters now successfully. So Samantha, let me just take a pause here and hand it over back to you. Sure. So it sounds like um, both of you are very well versed in the private markets across India. And, you know, over the past decade, we've seen PEVC um, investments grow tremendously. Now, according to EY report, 2011 to 2020 saw a compounded annual growth rate of about uh, 19%. So in both of your opinions, you know, can this growth be sustained? What are your views on the long-term structural trend of India's VC market? And what are some of the catalysts and factors that are supporting this trend in your view? In my opinion, we are at the tip of the iceberg. So the Indian startup ecosystem, in a sense, I would say the earliest funds came in in the 2000s. And, uh, you know, it took a while for the ecosystem to build out, for people to get comfortable, for entrepreneurs also to start understanding how to deal with VCs, how to raise money, how to build businesses over time. And that's taken a while, right? Now, the COVID pandemic was a huge accelerator. Uh, the lockdowns that there were uh, sort of catalyzed um, people's adoption of technology. And since then, we've seen sort of a massive increase in people uh, sort of going online and completing, I mean, whether it's for shopping, business, other things, and really uh, becoming more tech enabled. And we're seeing that across the economy from top to bottom. So uh, coupled with that have also been sort of an explosion in, in digital infrastructure in India. We have some of the cheapest 
sort of data rates in the world. Uh, very good, a very good data network has been built out. So most of the country has has good sort of uh, in- internet access. And on top of that, there's also been a huge digitization of our financial ecosystem uh, with things like UPI and everyone having uh, sort of digitized access to their bank accounts. So a combination of all these factors has started to drive uh, the growth of the tech in uh, the tech industry, I'd say, in India. And as I said, we're still very, very early uh, in, in our development path. India is still a relatively poor country. We have ways to go. Uh, the tech revolution is going to enable that. I think you're going to see sort of uh, a multiplier effect in the number of new companies and interesting businesses that get created in this entire space. Uh, and over the next I would say 20, 15 to 20 years, I think we're going to see a lot of very, very uh, exciting developments in the Indian uh, sort of startup ecosystem. Uh, I agree with uh, most of what uh, Sohil just uh, spoke about. I believe that we are still in the early days of natural uptrend uh, that that the Indian startup ecosystem is witnessing as we speak. I would say the early startups, you know, maybe 15, 20 years back, if you talk about the tech-enabled startups, the first unicorn, India got its first unicorn sometime around 2010, 2011. And by the end of 22, India had 100 plus unicorns. We believe that uh, as far as internet penetration is concerned, there's still a long way to go. As we speak, India's digital penetration stands at circa 50 odd percent, which means that, you know, almost 750 million people in India have access to internet. And there's another 750 million people to go. India has got superb digital payment infrastructure. India does close to 7, 8 billion transactions every month as far as digital payments are concerned by these 750 odd million people who have internet access, which means that every person is doing close to 10 transactions a month. And this number 7 billion transaction taken together is more than what US, UK, France, Germany does on a monthly basis. So what has happened is that with our digital infrastructure, with solid digital payment uh, networks, a large part of India's, you know, tier two, tier three, tier four markets have gotten unlocked which the young entrepreneurs are now able to access. Almost 65% of India's population lives beyond tier one cities, you know, which are typically these cities with population less than, say, half a million. And uh, most of the digital commerce uh, orders which are being recorded now are being recorded from cities which are beyond tier one. And we believe that there's still a lot of unlocking to happen. Now, that's on the demand side. On the supply side, also what has happened is that uh, the societal acceptance as far as entrepreneurship is concerned in India has gone up considerably over the last decade or so. I mean, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when some of us were coming out of colleges, there were very few people who were getting directly into entrepreneurship. But if you go to any top uh, engineering school in India, or for that matter, you know, any top university in India, a lot of people are looking at entrepreneurship as an opportunity right from the start of their careers. Now, that's happened because the society has started to accept entrepreneurship as means of living. India is also churning a large number of skilled technical workforce on a yearly basis. India produces close to one and a half million engineers a year, and that's a big number. So all these factors taken together are catalyzing the boom of the startup economy in India. And I believe that this trend is there to remain and it's it's going to be there over the next decade, as they say, you know, belongs to India. 
And I believe that the startup ecosystem is going to emerge as a winner. Right now, there are global macro headwinds, which is kind of, you know, causing some kind of volatility as far as this ecosystem is concerned. But we believe that the structural uptrend remains intact. Yes, indeed. I can see that you're both quite bullish on India's private markets. And and Sankit, you did allude to um, some headwinds that we might be facing. So 2022 was the year of market corrections. And, you know, this quarter, um, we've had a lot of funding slowdowns and fundraising um, issues. So are you concerned of the about the town, downturn and you guys making any changes to your portfolio approach? So, Samantha, look, I think uh, our investing philosophy doesn't really change no matter, you know, what kind of market you're in. At the end of the day, we look at investing in good companies, companies who are on path to profitability, companies uh, who we believe can emerge as leaders in their segments. And that remains true across different business cycles. Uh, What is happening right now uh, with uh, corrections in the market is that the deal flows have become much stronger because a lot of deals which were being printed, say, you know, 12 to 18 months ago are not happening anymore. The check sizes have become much smaller, if at all. Therefore, the deal flows, particularly on the venture debt side, has increased substantially. And we are getting a lot of high quality companies who are looking at debt capital Given at these valuation levels where there has been a correction, they are not very keen to dilute. Uh, and, and that's uh, true for most founders who are running like, you know, good quality companies. So our rejection rate has gone up, which means that, you know, out of every hundred transactions that we are looking at, we are rejecting more number of transactions than what we were doing, you know, six to nine months ago. So that is something which has changed, but the investment philosophy remains the same. Yeah, I would agree with uh, with what Sanket is saying. Uh, though we invest slightly in the equity of businesses, uh, in, in equity rather than venture debt, uh, sort of the market dynamics are pretty similar. You know, good companies are continuing to raise money. Uh, but having said that, of course, there is a uh, slowdown. Deals are taking longer to happen. Valuation uh, sort of uh, expectations are moderating downwards. But... Funds are still well capitalized. People do have money to invest. Uh, so I see it as a little bit transient. I think there will always be appetite and demand for good companies. Uh, now, what constitutes a good company, that definition is also changing a little bit. Uh, in the past, the focus was very much on growth, 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 grow at any cost. And now uh, I think we believe a more holistic evaluation of businesses, which I don't think is bad, uh, where... Uh, uh, investors certainly want growth, but at the same time, they also want to see a path to profitability. Sure. And you both mentioned earlier on, um, you know, that the funds that you look at focus on early stage and growth startups. So can you tell us more about the investment sectors and the types of companies that looked attractive to you right now? You talk about investing in good companies. And when you look at um, investing against the current backdrop and choosing these types of companies and founders to work with. What has been your approach? So look, from our perspective, our approach hasn't changed very much from when we started the fund and we did start investing uh, when the environment was already difficult. But just philosophically, we've always believed, number one, in backing good entrepreneurs. And by good entrepreneurs, I mean people who have uh, solid educational backgrounds, who have good work experience, who are organized, who are who have clarity of thought and vision. 
And you know, I think that should be true in any market. The entrepreneur and the founders that you're backing are the most important uh, part of a business, especially when you come in at the really early stage, because these businesses do go through multiple pivots. Uh, so it's founder first. Uh, secondly, we we want to, so our philosophy is go early, but not too early. And by that, what we mean is we want businesses which have validated uh, sort of unit models, whether if there's a product that's being sold, the product is actually being sold. Uh, there's some uptake we're able to track sort of uh, whether users like the product, uh, what are the repeat rates, et cetera. Right. If it's a service, the same thing. And number three, you want to see uh, really, really solid uh, unit economics and a path to profitability. What in this funding environment, we are pushing all our investing companies to get the cash flow break even uh, with the money they already have in, in their accounts or at the most with very small additional fundraisers. Uh, I think that's uh, that's something that's really important in this environment. I mean, obviously, aside from this, there are multiple other things we look at. But these are, I would say, the most critical. Yes, I agree with Sohil. Uh, there's, there's a slight difference in our approach because uh, by the time we go into a company with our uh, venture debt offering, you know, these companies uh, have reached uh, mid-stage. I mean, these are not growth growth stage companies but between early stage and growth stage and they have uh, a proven product market fit so the business model becomes extremely important unit economics becomes extremely important we like companies which are already breaking even at least at unit level if not at a corporate level uh, in fact as we speak almost 50 percent of our companies uh, are profitable at EBITDA level corporate EBITDA level uh, 50 percent of the companies that we have in our portfolio therefore uh, proven business model that's that's something which is important uh, good unit economics is important founders needless to mention you know it's extremely important to have uh, good founders with strong execution capabilities and the ability to navigate through tough markets. Uh, uh, you know, tough markets can, can come at any point in time. I mean, COVID was a classic example. Therefore, it's important that founders have the resilience to see through bad days. And lastly, when we talk to our founders, you know, it's, it's very important uh, for us to have a conversation wherein we tell them that, look, if all the money that you have is taken off the table, would you be able to run your company profitably or not if you don't have a growth mandate? If the founders believe that they can do that, and if we believe that the founders can make that happen, that's the right kind of, you know, company for us to invest. And these kind of companies, you know, we find across multiple sectors uh, in India, whether it's, you know, health tech, whether it's supply chain focused businesses, you know, certain fintech lenders. So we are investing across multiple sectors, but these are the core things that we look into a company or, or the founder slash founding team before making our investment decision. That's really interesting to hear. So, I mean, the current environment hasn't been, you know, entirely conducive. Um, we're, we're obviously at a point where funding is slowing down um, and the road ahead doesn't look particularly bright. Um, what would be your advice to portfolio companies as far as business growth, funding and other operational aspects are concerned? So look, I think uh, it's uh, spoken about it a lot, uh, you know, in this conversation. And in times like these, it's very important for companies to start focusing on profitability. 
even though they may have to compromise on the growth mandates a bit, it's fine. But profitability, you know, mindset is extremely important. Uh, we are asking all our companies to reduce cost if the companies are not already profitable. It's very important for them to increase their runways. And that's not a discussion that uh, only we are having. It's it's a discussion which is being done across multiple boardrooms, uh, you know, whether LC Venture Debt Fund is there or not. So increasing your runway, managing your working capital better, these are some of the things that we are speaking about. And as I said, uh, sometime back, uh, one of the conversations that we are having with our founders is that, you know, if you don't have to grow, can you turn your company profitable if you're not already profitable? And what do you need to get there? We are asking all our companies to come up with a plan to get to profitability if they don't have to grow. So these are the kind of discussions that we are having with our portfolio companies as we speak. Yeah, um, that obviously resonates for us too. Uh, the main conversation we are having with our portfolio is to just uh, reduce reduce cost. So we're doing a line item exercise and seeing where it's possible to cut. And, you know, these companies often have a lot of slabs, so there are spaces to cut and get to break even. Uh, we are focused on working capital optimization. And essentially, we want to get companies to break even between the, with the capital they have uh, they have in the bank. If growth uh, comes down as a result, that's okay in this market. Uh, we think growth is secondary to profitability. That was kind of in the shorter term, midterm. And if we go back to the longer term picture for the private markets uh, industry, um, this is going to be our final question for both of you. What would you say is one investment trend you see picking up across uh, the private markets or the startup ecosystem next, say, three to five years? A lot is being talked about, you know, chat, GPT, AI, etc. And I believe that, you know, India is catching up to the whole AI trend. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, path-breaking innovation coming out of India as far as application of artificial intelligence, you know, across different sectors is concerned. AI has multiple applications, you know, it could range from innovation, it could do to servicing, to providing solutions, etc. And when it comes to uh, a country like India, uh, which I believe is the right kind of market for AI-driven solutions, given the huge population that India has, and the fact that, you know, cost of servicing an incremental client can increase disproportionately as a percentage of revenue. Therefore, it's, it's a time that, you know, AI-driven solutions uh, come up. And I believe that AI-driven solutions would be the key to reach out to such incremental clients who, who are part of tier three, tier four rural economy in India. And therefore, we expect that the whole AI-backed industry would grow more popular over the next decade. So if you ask me about the long-term trend, I believe that, you know, uh, we, we expect some path-breaking AI-led innovation happening in India or coming out of India. Yeah, I think some kids pick the good theme. AI is definitely going to drive uh, a bunch of innovation in India and what we see. Uh, but, you know, India, just across the board, there's so much to be built. Uh, as I said earlier, we are a poor country. The, you know, there's just innovation happening across the scale. And it's not always obvious where this innovation comes from. Uh, so, for example, on the payment side and on the whole uh, fintech ecosystem, uh, the government did a phenomenal job just getting uh, getting UPI, uh, sort of unified payments underway, uh, which enable basically peer-to-peer -peer transfers. And that's led to a spate of innovation in fintech. I mean, if you look at our portfolio, that's been sort of the number one area we 
uh, invested in because we just see very, very interesting businesses coming out in this sector. And many of these businesses can only be built in India, uh, given the financial infrastructure that we have. Uh, we've seen a number of uh, sort of space-oriented startups come out in India, and we think that's something that's going to get uh, that's going to see resilience and, and further development. Uh, agri as a sector is one where there's ma a massive amount of disruption waiting to happen. So again, on a five-year, five to ten-year view, uh, I think the entire agri industry in India is going to be transformed by innovation and what these startups do. And some, and of course, it'll marry a lot of these themes. There will be there'll be an AI component to it. There'll be Internet of Things. There'll be all kinds of. Uh, there'll be a fintech angle. So, but you know, all those uh, those new emerging technologies will just combine together to disrupt entire industries. Uh, and, and we're really excited to see that happen over the next few years. Yes, indeed. I think, you know, the future looks quite um, interesting, quite bright, where we're looking at a lot of uh, digital trends uh, moving, you know, the market forward. So thank you um, both Sohil and Sankit for sharing your insights today with us on the private markets, the um, sort of structural trends, the catalyst and factors, and how you approach investments in the private market sector in India. Um, thank you again for, for joining us and taking the time to share your insights with us, Sankit Sohil. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, it was great speaking with, uh, with you. Thank you for having us. Thank you once again for having us. Pleasure speaking to you guys. tuning into the Lighthouse Canton Insights Podcast. We hope you have found this conversations insightful. To hear more conversations from more experts, please do subscribe to the Lighthouse Canton's Insights Podcast. You can also stay up to date with Lighthouse Canton's latest news and insights by visiting our website at www.lighthouse-canton.com or social media pages. We look forward to having you again in the next episode. This podcast has been prepared by Lighthouse Canton Private Limited and all its affiliates. For informational purposes only, there is nothing contained in this podcast that constitutes advisory services. This podcast shall in no event constitute or be considered as advice to invest in any specific investment or investment class, vehicle or in financial instrument. The information contained in this podcast shall not be considered as legal, tax, financial or other advice. You should consult a professional to obtain specific advice regarding financial, legal, regulatory, tax and other regulations applicable to you. You should consult a financial advisor authorized in your jurisdiction before making any investment decision to ensure that you fully understand the products and potential risks involved. Please visit www.lighthouse-canton.com podcast for more details.